Dr. Eric Siegel. Welcome to Winning with Data. Great to be here, Jake and Alec. Thanks for having me on the show. Let's jump right into it. What is the BizML approach? How did you come up with it? And how does it apply to different organizations that want to get more out of their data and their data workers? You know, I wrote the AI playbook that presents the BizML framework paradigm because there is no established standardized practice, framework, paradigm, whatever you want to call it, that's well known to business professionals. But the fact is you need a very particular customized specialized practice for running machine learning projects so that they successfully deploy. In fact, most new machine learning projects in enterprises fail to reach deployment. Therefore, they fail to establish value entirely. So I broke it down in the book into six steps, which correspond with six main chapters. So the BizML follows those six steps. The culminating step is deployment. The first step is to plan for the deployment and everything in between is to get there. But the actual breakdown of the steps, you know, if you're a data scientist and you think this through all the way, it almost kind of writes itself. I mean, basically what business stakeholders need to understand and get involved with in detail is a certain semi-technical understanding, which consists of three things. What's predicted, how well, and what's done about it. So for example, is this transaction fraudulent? That's a prediction. Is this customer going to buy? What's done about it would be, should I audit this transaction? Should I contact this customer? And then how well is the metrics, the particular way to measure the quantitative performance of the predictive model and how much business value it has potential to deliver. Now, getting involved in that level of detail is kind of a rarity from a business side, but it's absolutely critical. So the broader theme, the thing that's important here is for business stakeholders to ramp up so they can participate in this end-to-end process. And then the six steps kind of write themselves. The first three correspond with those three concepts, what's predicted, how well, and what's done about it, but not in that order. So the first are to establish the deployment goal, the prediction goal, And if you're a techie, that's the dependent variable, but in great detail with business pragmatics, and then the the particular metrics. And then the other three are what all any machine learning project consists of, which is prep the data, train the model, and and then deploy it. Of course, you'd need to monitor moving forward, but the framework here is to culminate with, let's actually get these things deployed. And I talk about monitoring and upkeep and refreshing after that later in the book. But it sort of writes itself. The bigger point, the bigger theme is that we've got to establish a common understanding that business professionals must first ramp up on that semi-technical understanding, which is not rocket science. It's super accessible and easy to understand. It's much more interesting and accessible than algebra. It's applicable, it's pertinent, and it's fascinating science. And then so that they can then collaborate deeply end-to-end across that Uh, project framework that culminates with deployment so that it actually gets deployed so that they can have their hand in appropriately and make an informed authorization green lighting decision for deployment at the end and not get get cold feet which is so often the problem i'd love to expand on that one so what what are these easy to understand key pieces of information that a business leader should know or should orient themselves towards especially if they're skeptical or uneasy about the practical value of of machine learning or just data resources? The way you describe a use case, you know, the value proposition for any given potential machine learning project is just this pair of things. What's predicted and what's done about it? Is this customer likely to cancel their subscription? Let's offer, let's expend a discount intended to retain them. Is this credit card applicant likely to default on their payments? 
you know, that can drive whether or not that they're decided or fast tracked in their application for credit. This is what it means to apply machine learning, right? This is the main established decades old use case set of use cases of AI, if you want to call it that, established for decades. You could call it predictive AI, predictive use cases. This is what it takes to improve any and all or the vast majority of existing large-scale operations. So it's just that pair of things. That's the use case. That If you have those two, you can do it. What's predicted and what's done about it. Now, of course, in order to predict something, you need enough historical examples from which to learn who did or didn't cancel, who did or didn't buy, which transaction turned out to be fraudulent. But typically, when it's a large-scale operation, that's exactly the data that you do have that you have already been accumulating because it's been a large-scale operation and you've been conducting transactions and logging them. So once you've got those two things, what's predicted and what's done about it, that, broadly speaking, defines the use case, the value proposition of how you're going, what you're going to predict, and what's going to be done about it, how you're going to use, how you're going to act upon this technology so that it improves existing business operations. And then the third part is, of course, how good is it? How well does it work? How well does it predict? And then more concretely, what's the business value it has potential to deliver in terms like ROI, profit, cost savings, number of customers saved, and these kinds of things. So those are the metrics. So again, the three things are what's predicted, how well, and what's done about it. Yeah. And, and that leads right into that that kind of so what question that comes up uh, and, and, and your ML fallacy. I think often we run into, we're all guilty of this, creating interesting projects that are not actually useful. And and so whether that's working backwards from what use we're trying to get or thinking along the way about that endpoint, how have you seen businesses address the ML fallacy and, and make sure that they're getting maximum value from their resources? Sure. Yeah. So I, I, I called it the ML fallacy in the book and I'll just spell out what it is, which is that since machine learning algorithms actually work which is amazing and true in the sense that they generate models that hold over new unseen cases in new situations. The fallacy is that since they work, those models are intrinsically valuable, which is not true. They're only valuable if you act on them, if you use them, deploy them, integrate them into operations, otherwise known as deployment. That's the launch part. Right now, the world is kind of more excited about the rocket science than the launch of the rocket. I mean, that's literally the way it's working. And these failures where you kind of get that far and then it doesn't deploy are readily swept under the rug. I'd say there's a certain amount of skill people have cultivated in that under the rug sweeping, in part aided by all the AI hype these days. But, you know, that's not sustainable and executives are certainly getting wise. Now, the whole point of sort of saying, hey, look, we need an end-to-end practice that reverse plans, starts by planning for how that is going to deploy. That is to say the operational improvement. It's a reframing. It's saying, hey, look, this isn't a technology project or a analytics or machine learning project. It's a business operations improvement project that uses machine learning critically as a, as a vital necessary ingredient. So one of the examples I cover in the book are how UPS did this. And they this was a huge change management challenge for them. They improved the efficiency of delivering 16 million pa- packages a day in the, US, in the U.S. And they did it by more optimally 
assigning packages to delivery trucks from each of the shipping centers by way of predicting tomorrow's deliveries. There are unknowns about what deliveries are going to have to happen by the time they have to actually start making the plan and loading the trucks overnight for a morning departure. So they have some packages in hand, but others may or may not be arriving. So they literally make predictions that augment the existing set of known packages. And then now they have a more complete picture that then creates a more optimal plan. And by doing this in combination with prescribing driving steps, they achieve 185 million miles less. They save that many miles of driving a year, $350 million and 185,000 metric tons of emissions. But they only did this with a really rigorous change management process. And that's the thing is that AI, machine learning, so often omits change management. Why? Because it's not conceived of as operations improvement. And I know that operations improvement sounds a lot more boring than sexy analytics and AI, but the fact is you you don't improve anything unless you change it. And so that's this thing is you have to realize, hey, look, if we're going to make a change, we actually have to manage that change and conceive of this as change management. In the book, I covered Jack Levis at UPS. He was the leader who ran this project, and he had to convince people above him and below him, right? So first he had to go to an executive and literally take him on a ride to show how the system works and more optimally delivers packages. And it's sort of like you're trying to gain, my, my wife originally came up with this joke, it's full stack organizational buy-in. So it's the stack of humans in the organization from the executives above you, to literally down to the staff who are loading the trucks on the dock when they went first went to deployment, they hadn't quite managed that change as aggressively as needed. So the dock workers were not being compliant, were kind of sticking to their own human hunches and, and wisdom that they'd gained from years of working there. Like they would recognize the address on the packages and say, oh, these two packages definitely go together on this truck. And they'd override what had been prescribed. So that had to be more rigorously put pushed through. So you just kind of get, get the whole organization on the same page and manage that change. And that's only going to be possible by planning for change from the get-go, by ramping up all the business stakeholders on exactly what's happening. They don't have to get into the rocket science, but they have to get into that sort of semi-technical understanding of how this technology and its predictions are going to change and therefore improve operations. You know, the more I hear about ML use cases in, in more mainstream industries, the more I realize it's so easy to think that analytics are supposed to be only the domain of whiz-bang insights and finding needles in haystacks. And often it's more about looking at your very normal day-to-day processes and finding inefficiencies and looking at where you can be a little bit more organized and a little bit faster. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, business is a numbers game. And what we're doing here is tipping the odds a bit more in our favor. But even just sort of a bit of odds improvements has a dramatic improvement on the bottom line. When you compare, for example, targeting of marketing with a predictive model in comparison to an established method that's not analytically or data-driven and more from from the gut, you really can see an improvement to the bottom line, the profit of a marketing campaign improved by a factor of five. I mean, these are very feasible numbers. So it makes a huge difference to become data-driven especially when we're talking about the largest scale operations in marketing, financial, financial risk management, fraud detection, you know, which satellite's going to run out of battery and should we inspect? Where should we drill for oil? I mean, 
any and all the large-scale operations where we're kind of taking shot not shots entirely in the dark but if we can make the dark we could turn the lights on just a little bit brighter then our shots are going to be that much better it makes a huge difference it's the last remaining point of differentiation in in, in many large scale businesses yeah and when we talk about systems and processes you know a lot of folks are focused on generative ai and llms and, and we could talk about that absolutely because the, the hype is is very justified but it feels like most businesses haven't fully integrated or derived anywhere near the full potential value from machine learning and predictive analytics. And they often fall short on what folks variously call ML ops. So when you think about data systems or data operations in an organization, what do you most frequently see as the biggest potential area for improvement? So ML ops is absolutely critical for managing models, maintaining them, and, and then integrating them so they deploy. But they're part of the technical solution. So what I'm offering with BizML in contrast to that is not, an, is not more technology, but rather the, the business procedure and the common business understanding and the way humans must, must understand, communicate, and collaborate. And in that sense, that process will usually and very well should make use of technical solutions like MLOps. And it needs to be the, the dog that wags the tail, not the other way around. So MLOps should be at, at the business's disposal. And that is to say at the disposal of a business practice, we need a specialized one. That's why I coined this very sweet little five-letter buzzword, BizML, because I'm trying to evangelize, hey world, because most bu business stakeholders in general don't even know that you need specialized business practice for ML projects in particular in the first place, let alone know the name of or reference any particular attempt thereof. Now, you mentioned generative AI, large language models, and all this. I, I'm very, very excited about all that area and its prospects. I actually spent six years in, a, in the natural language processing research group at Columbia University along in the 90s, and I never thought I'd see what I, can see to, what I see today as capabilities. Yet, I also think there's a lot of hype that goes way too far so in a way, as excited as I am, I'm seeing the world around me maybe a lot more excited than that and maybe too excited. So it's this, it's this kind of strange thing. And here's the challenge for the world is to hold in your head two things at the same time, which is that the language models, as seemingly human-like as they are and as amazing and capable as they are, and appreciate that and see the potential value, especially for writing first drafts, right, that need to be uh, audited by humans. Uh, you know, there's got to be a human in the loop on that that way. And at the same time, understand that doesn't necessarily mean it's a step towards general human level capabilities. And I think that that's sort of the main problem, the, the main overpromise that's conveyed in today's narrative with the hype is that this is an indication that we're moving towards what they call artificial general intelligence computers that are capable of anything a human could do. You know, you could call it an artificial human. And I don't I, I'm not saying that that's impossible, but I would say that what we've accomplished today isn't an indication that we're actually making concrete, measurable steps in that direction. I think that that's a bit of an illusion, and I think it also contributes greatly to sort of an over-expectations about what it's going to be capable of doing. Now, ultimately, the antidote to hype is to focus on feasible, concrete value propositions. That's why I think a lot of companies should pivot back to the established use cases to differentiate from generative, we could call those predictive AI, predictive analytics, whatever you want to call it, enterprise 
at use of machine learning to improve existing large-scale operations. And I think that that can really make a big difference. That isn't to say that should always be the pivot. In fact, they're not really in competition. They're kind of apples and oranges. It's not a zero-sum game. Generative AI certainly has its place. It can really improve efficiency. Let's say you're churning out handwritten documents by a human, and now that something can pre-draft, depending on the particular task and the language model being used, it may very well turn out that a human's operational efficiency improves by 30% or more because they've got the thing already writing the first draft. Of course, you can't consider a reliable or autonomous because you need the human to, to be reviewing it for sure. I mean, we've all heard about a, a million of, of these issues. And in that way, broadly speaking, BizML, the, the basic theme and ideas of it certainly apply to generative AI projects just as well, which is that you got to focus on the concrete value. You got to start with your intended deployment, exactly what operation that's conducted manually right now is going to be improved or informed or optimized a bit by language models, outputs, this kind of thing. The other thing I should also mention for the record is you can use a language model as a predictive model, right? So I, we've worked up a, an example for misinformation detection where the model is basically saying, what's the chances this is misinformation? Instead of just treating it like a human who knows for sure whether it's misinformation. And any language-heavy task, that particular kind of model might be might be the best, such as in, in healthcare, when you're trying to process medical discharge summaries and this kind of thing. And with all that in mind, what are the three biggest takeaways that you hope readers get from the AI playbook? I would say that the first takeaway is that we need a deep collaboration with business side stakeholders, which means they must ramp up on semi-technical material. Now, business stakeholders will sometimes be like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, why do I have to learn the technology? I, I delegate that to data scientists. I don't, need to, I don't need to pop the hood of my car in order to drive it. I don't even know where the spark plug is. And that, that's true, but you do need a, a lot of expertise in order to drive a car. Friction, momentum, how a car operates, the rules of the road, mutual expectations between you and other drivers, that's a lot. And you need the same, analogously, the same kind of expertise to run or participate in a machine learning project if you hope that it be successfully deployed and, and deliver value to the organization. So that, that comes down to what's predicted, how well what's done about it. Those factors that define and guide a machine learning project, understanding it in detail, dive into them so that you can inform more than anything Machine learning projects to succeed don't need more or new technology. They need you, as a, if you're a business side stakeholder, they need you to ramp up on that basic idea, on those, those, those notions of what, it, not the rocket science, but how to use the rocket science, and then participate, collaborating deeply and so that you can, inf you can inform, the, guide the project and make an informed decision about whether it should be deployed and exactly how it should be deployed. That's the first of three takeaways. The second would be the actual process itself. And I think I'd like the world to pick up on the buzzword BizML because, because I coined it. No, the other way around. I coined it because I want something out there people can hang their hat on. We need a common vernacular so there's a general understanding that there must be a we must follow a very particular specialized business practice in order to get these projects to, to deployment. Number three, I guess I'll focus in on one particular there, which is the metrics. You know, I said, what's predicted, how well, what's done about it. The second of those is how well, how good is it? How good is AI? Are we hearing the answer to that question? Language models are generally measured, for example, over 
benchmarks that are sort of abstract or don't necessarily pertain to how the language model would actually be used. Sure, it can pass an LSAT test, but does that map in any way to a particular use case? If we're going to focus on enterprise value, these models, whether they're large language models or, or other kinds of neural networks or ensemble models or on logistic regression models, they need to be evaluated in terms that correspond exactly with how they're going to be used for the business. It, we need to turn to business metrics like profit, number of dollars saved, and measure their potential value in those terms so that we have a real handle on what the potential value is. Hey, Eric, let me jump in real quick on that. I, I, I understand and can appreciate the importance of non-technical and semi-technical individuals or maybe non-technical becoming semi-technical. But how would you respond if, if the question was you know, the other way around? Right? How can data science leads maybe meet you know, halfway the business stakeholders? What can they do to take that step forward and maybe meet the non-technical folks in the middle? And, and what are two or three examples of that and how that might translate to the success that UPS have? Absolutely. So basically, there's three main things the data, that even the most senior data scientists often don't know that they need to in order to, to bridge this gap and get on the same page so that everybody can collaborate on a, a process like BizML. And the first of three actually is the metrics, as I just mentioned. The world's hung up on technical metrics. How well does this thing predict abstractly in terms of pure predictive performance, which is only tells you the relative performance. It tells you how much better than guessing it predicts. So for example, precision recall, area under the curve, even accuracy is a technical metrics that's generally impertinent and often misleading. So the challenge for data scientists is realize, hey, look, it's not just that it predicts pretty good on some relative sense, but the absolute business value, which means business metrics like like profit, savings, and number of customers saved, ROI. Things that are super, they're just like so obvious, we keep overlooking them. We need That needs to become a standard part of the process that we're translating, in a sense, the performance and actually measuring it in, in those concrete business terms. There's a whole chapter in my book, which corresponds to step three, establishing the metrics on that, that says as much. I also have a Sloan management MIT Sloan Management Review about that, the difference between technical and business metrics. This is this is the mountain I'm willing to die on. Look, data scientists, you're being too technical for your own good. Like, let's measure simple business metrics. We need to. That's absolutely critical for bridging the gap. The second of three is defining the dependent variable. That is the prediction goal. You can't just say, I'm going to predict which customer is going to cancel. It has to be which customers who've been around for several for, for four months are going to decrease their spend in the next three months by at least 80% and not increase their spend in another channel because then they wouldn't count as a defector, right? You have to get, and maybe three times as many qualifiers as that. You got to get really specific. It's business rel relevant qualifiers and you got to get the business team involved in the particulars of that semi-technical definition of the dependent variable, what's being predict so that the predictions are actually actionable in, in, a, in a business operations context. And then lastly is data prep. The way you manifest that particular, that particular prediction goal is in how you prepare the training data, not in the way you set, set up or use the actual rocket science, the machine learning software. It's the data prep that is where you manifest that particular definition of the dependent variable that you work so hard on and make sure is business relevant. 
Data prep is generally skipped over. Data scientists just want to start modeling. That's the fun part. I was guilty of this for decades. That's why we got into it. Learning from data and finding drawing generalizations that hold hold true in new unseen situations is amazing. It's the best of science. It's so awesome. Well, okay, let's not get that excited about it because there's some pragmatic steps. We need to take business pre-production steps, and then you need to actually get the data, whatever form and format it looks like today, into a form that's, that's meaningful in terms of the particular business use case and more specifically the particular prediction goal that's been established. So there's chapters on these things. So in fact, at the beginning of the book, I say, hey, look, data scientists, this is not the technical fair you're accustomed to, but you, there's some stuff you probably don't know. So here are the three chapters that you should read carefully, skim the rest of the book nicely, and then give it to your boss. I love that. Eric, I'm, I'm guessing folks can find your book on, on Amazon and, and places like that. Where else can we find you this year? You've got You've got a lot of different events that you're a part of and, and help run. Where can folks look out for you? Sure. Well, the book's website is bizml.com. Go figure, right? And the conference I, series I founded in 2009, which is now called Machine Learning Week, formerly Predictive Analytics World, has a new sister conference, Generative AI World, and they, they're co-located together the first week of June in Phoenix. So you can find out about that at machinelearningweek.com. Dr. Eric Siegel, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks, Jake and Alex, so much for having me. 